This is Radical Week, week number, I mean Radical Love, week five, and I've chosen for today's title, the title of today's talk, today's message, I Hope You Dance. Anybody remember that song, 2000? Song of the Year, Leanne Womack, any country fans in the house? Uh, uh, one or two, one or two country fans. Uh, a few more, maybe five or six country, country fans. Uh, incredible song. Uh, the lyrics of that song are so compelling. But the gist of the song is simply this, no matter what happens, no matter what comes your way, regardless of life's interruptions, I hope you dance. And that's my prayer for you this morning, and that's Wendy's prayer for you as well, that no matter what happens, no matter what you're faced with, specifically in your interpersonal relationships, that you will continue to dance. And so we introduced this idea last week of how many of us don't anticipate the music changes that we all experience. I know this, this auditorium is filled with party animals, or at least you used to be a party animal, Spuds McKenzie. Come on, somebody. And everybody in this room had their favorite jam. And you would go to the party and the DJ was good. It would be song after song after song after song. And you'd just be on the dance floor, man, nonstop. Every single song. Oh, that's my jam. And if a DJ's good, man, he, like I said last week, man, he would, he would set up the next song because he's got his, his headphones on and one song is about to fade out. But he's making sure that the rhythm of the next song is consistent with the rhythm of the current song so that there is no interruption in the beat. And if the DJ's really good, he weaves song after song seamlessly and he keeps the party going. But every now and then, DJs have a way of changing tempo. And usually what they would do is just kind of come in with this random, abrupt scratch. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And they would change the song, right? I just feel like dancing this morning. Can I, can I dance a little bit? No, no, no. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody get my wife. I can already tell. Oh, there she is. I can already tell this thing might derail fast because my wife ain't in here. Uh, Back in children's church and I just felt the pull. You felt the pull, so you came in. But no, you know, you know how, you know, when, when you're getting down and you, y'all know, you know, yeah. Like there was a certain flame, if, like, if you're like from the West Coast and they started spinning that Snoop or that Dre, you know how y'all used to put your hands up like, whoa. That's West Coast. Y'all remember that? And everybody in the building, you know, Tom, you know what I'm talking about, right? Just right here. That's... And then if you're East Coast, man, y'all remember when that Brandy came out? I want to be down. Y'all remember... remember that? Everybody in the room, man, they were getting down like... <laughs> If you were from the South, y'all, Atlanta, y'all remember this? Oh, Bankhead Bounce from Bankhead outside of Atlanta. And that's what happens in life when the music is right. When they're playing our jam, 
when things are unfolding the way we scripted it, we dance. But every now and then, there's an interruption that clears the dance floor. Ever been in one of those parties where, where if the DJ messed up and played the wrong song, everybody just left. <laughs> and they went on to something else. And, and, and uh, unfortunately, that's what most of us do in life. That when they stop playing our jam, we stop dancing. And, and, and most of us don't anticipate the changes in the music. Sometimes we think that life will mean that it will be one jam after the next and things will always go our way. I'm talking about this in the context of interpersonal relationships, particularly marriage. Because in marriage and in relationships, period, most of us don't anticipate the changes in the music. It's easy when everything is happening the way we planned and scripted it. But what happens when the DJ comes in with a scratch and the song changes and the tempo changes and the rhythm changes? In fact, in a lot of premarital counseling that Wendy and I do, one of the things we try to get couples to do before they get married is to find their rhythm. Because you can have two people who are deeply, madly in love, but they jump the broom, they tie the knot, and pretty soon they realize we're out of sync. I love you, but you're dancing to the beat of a different song. And a lot of times people struggle because they don't anticipate the changes in the music. And most of us stop dancing because we don't like that song. And most of us leave the party because we didn't like the last three songs that played. But what does the Bible have to say about that? about anticipating the changes in the music, listen to this, that are inevitable. If, if, if you catch anything I say this morning is resist the urge to push back against the things that are inevitable. Because the way things are now may not be the way they will be 10 years from now. So begin to now anticipate the changes in the music and the changes in the rhythm that are inevitable. Because everything that is healthy will change and it will grow. And most of us don't anticipate the changes and the growth that happen. So, so, so this is what the Bible has to say about that. Most of you are familiar with Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Listen to what, listen to what it says. Paul makes this all-inclusive statement when he says, to everything. We can just stop there and go home. Because what Paul is saying is that what he's about to say, these changes in the music and the changes to tempo and the changes to, to the rhythms of our lives will touch 
everything. He says to everything there is a season. How many of you realize that the seasons are changing right now as we speak right here in Texas? We're coming out of winter and going into spring. And you can begin to anticipate those changes based on the time period on the calendar and also the weather conditions. The same is also true in your relationships. To everything, there will be changes. You know what that means? Seasons are sequential. First, it's winter, spring, summer, and fall. Again, in that order. Winter, spring, summer, and fall. Seasons are sequential. What you did in the last season may not fit the season that you're entering or the season that you're currently in. And most of us get stuck in our way. Well, I like winter, so I'm going to continue to wear this fur coat in the middle of 100 plus degree weather in Texas. And we wonder why, man, why am I sweating? Why am I uncomfortable? And we don't realize that in our relationships, because we didn't anticipate the change in seasons and the change in music, we're stuck in very uncomfortable situations because of our unwillingness to change and adjust. And we're wondering why the relationship is as toxic as it is. The seasons have changed. you got to respond accordingly. So to everything, all-inclusive, there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Seasons are sequential, winter, spring, summer, and fall, but then he talks about a time. It speaks of the duration of the season. Can I offer hope to you? That if you simply align your life with God's purposes and plans, no matter how difficult the music change is, it has a shelf life. Just as surely as it started, there is an ending to it. Y'all miss that. I'm talking to that person this morning who sees no way out of the situation that they're in right now. It seems like this song has been playing longer than was necessary. I don't know how many of y'all grew up in the 70s, man, but in the 70s, there were some of these cats that had songs that were 14 minutes long, 18 minutes long. Anybody know Isaac Hayes' Hot Buttered Soul? Some of y'all too young for that. Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. Isaac Hayes with that coat of many colors with his sunglasses, hot buttered soul. Black Moses. Truck Turner. I lost y'all. Y'all ain't ready. So so, so, uh, some of you, for the people who will say, man, how long? How long will I have to endure this song? The promise from Ecclesiastes 3.1 is not only will the seasons change, but whatever you're going through now has a shelf life. There is not only a season, but there is a time to every purpose. Again, every purpose under heaven. So this is what I want you to do. I want this message to be as relevant as possible. We've done this before. Uh, she's going to put, Kelly's going to put a graphic on the screen. If you have any questions, and again, all these questions that you submit are purely anonymous. I don't have the time to change gear, so Eric, can you pull those up for me when they come through? Uh, we want to help you. And we want to devote the lion's share of our time to answering maybe questions that you have about navigating 
a music change that you're going through right now and you want to do it effectively? We're going to answer those questions, hopefully, for you this morning as you text them in. Again, 100% anonymous. Text City Church Plano to this number, 22333. And uh, just let me know as those questions begin to come in, and we'll dive into the word. So Ecclesiastes 3 verse 2 says, a time to be born and a time to die. These are inevitable realities of life. There is a time to be born, which is a time of great joy and celebration, and there is a time to die. Can I stop right there and say that one of the music changes that most of us don't anticipate and prepare for is loss? That most of us in this room don't bounce back effectively from loss? Yet the scripture says there is a time to be born and there's going to be a time when some things die. And some of those things are going to be very precious. And, and Wendy and I have been in uh, counseling enough and, and facilitated counseling enough to know that many people, many people don't have the proper response to loss or to grief because what they end up doing is turning on each other instead of turning toward each other. And they blame one another for the loss. So on the, on the heels of the Grammy Awards, uh, Wendy and I decided to catch up on all the movies we had missed. One of them was Manchester by the Sea. I said loud and wrong, Oscars. On the heels of the Oscars, we wanted to catch up on all the movies that we had missed, and so we rented Manchester by the Sea. And there's a scene in the movie, and spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, but there's a scene in the movie where Casey Affleck, Casey Affleck's, Affleck's character, is with his friends, and they're downstairs. It's 2 a.m., and they're just having a good old buddy-buddy time. His wife comes downstairs upset because it's 2 a.m., and they're loud. So all his buddies leave, and he's mad, so he goes out, goes to the liquor store, grabs some beer. I'm sorry, he went to get diapers. Loud and wrong again. <laughs> he left the house. To buy something. He went to get diapers, and he comes back. House burned down. And he loses two or three kids? Three kids. Two? Somebody said two. Three. He loses three kids. It was a baby and two older kids. And he, he walks up to the scene, and his wife is crying. The house is burned to the ground. And they're taking his wife on the uh, gurney. And he's trying to reach out and touch his wife. And his wife is pushing his hand away. And he reaches out and tries to console his wife. And she pushes his hand away. And she looks away from him. Because he had lit the fireplace that night. And the reason he lit the fireplace was because the central heating dried out her sinuses. And in doing something to serve his wife. He lost his family. And in a moment of loss and grief, instead of turning toward each other, she turned on him. In the entire movie, he really doesn't recover emotionally. In fact, it ends with their divorce. Most of us don't navigate loss because we don't anticipate it properly. But whenever we lose something, it's never about what we went through, 
but it's really about what's happening in us. It's not about what happened to you and not to minimize the trauma, but it's really about what's happening in you. Not what happened to you then, but what's happening in you now. It's our response to loss. So if we take an example of the lady who started mad, mothers against drunk driving, lost a child, but turned it into something productive that would help others. But there are others who went through the exact same circumstances who have not recovered from their loss. It's not what happens to you, but it's about what happens in you that matters. John Walsh, America's Most Wanted. When we lose something that matters, when we lose something that's valuable, here, here's, can I encourage you with this? Don't allow your, pet, your past to be your prison. Make it your platform. That is the biblical response to loss. Yes, you'll mourn. Yes, you'll grieve. And that is right. To do that. In fact, can I say this to you? That the proof of a healthy soul is that you cry when you're supposed to cry. And you laugh when you're supposed to laugh. The signs and the evidence of a toxic, unhealthy soul is when you're laughing when you should be crying. To mask your pain. To put on for everybody else. And that's why the scripture says right here in Ecclesiastes 3 that there is a time to laugh and a time to cry. But most of us have an unhealthy response to the change in the music because we think that we're supposed to pretend to be in a place where we're not. And he wants us to mourn through our pain. And his promise is blessed are those who mourn because Jesus will come to your rescue. And Wendy and I have done enough counseling to know that people are supposed to be crying and they're sitting in front of us laughing. And you can see right through it. This is what most of us do. We play peekaboo with life. And just because you can't see me, you think I can't see you. But most people can see through the laugh that should be a tear. And the problem is, in our relationships, we don't give people permission to grieve what they lost. All right, man, you cried enough. Let it go. What's all this crying about? But the measure of a healthy soul. And I know as surely as I know my name, that there are those of us who haven't completed our grief. And if you don't complete your grief, you cannot continue your growth. I'll say that a different way. You and I cannot grow beyond the pain we resolve. I'll say it another way. You and I will be permanently tethered to the pain we entertain. I wish I could say it another way. I feel like Dr. Seuss up in here this morning. <laughs> Sam I am, I am Sam. Three eggs and ham. See the freedom Do y'all hear that? With no skinny jeans, you just... 
Oh, my wife said, you see the freedom with no skinny jeans? She confiscated all my skinny jeans and put them in a garage sale. But they will be back. You found two in the laundry? I hid them from you, but, but I'm just teasing. I'm just playing. How do we navigate loss? So, so, so check this out. Check this out. Uh, Job, Job chapter 1, verse 13. I'll give you the story. Job is a man who is righteous, loves God, honors God. Most of us think that our righteousness and our relationship with God makes us immune from trouble. But Job is doing everything right, and everything goes wrong. And most of us, when we suffer loss, we get angry at God, the only one who can help us. In the midst of it, I'm talking about radical love in relationships, how these things impact our relationships. So, 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 this is so good. This is so good. After Job loses everything, the last people standing are Job and his wife. Guess what Job does? He turns toward his wife. And guess what his wife says to him? Are you still holding on to what? Your integrity. These were her words. She observed Job and noticed that Job was just as righteous before the trouble as he was after the trouble. And he says, are you still going to be a man of integrity after God has caused us to lose everything? Curse God and die. It happens today in marriages. When people suffer loss, they turn on each other and they turn on God and say, curse God, forget God, and just go on and die. Quit living. The music has changed. Stop dancing. What you dancing about, Job? Ain't nothing funny. Curse God and die. And this is what Job says. Says, will we receive good from God and not evil? Not that God is the author of evil. But what Job was saying is I've anticipated the seasons. I've anticipated this song change. I'm prepared for this moment. And he says, naked I came into the world. Naked I'll go out. No matter what I lose, my God is still good. And we've seen it in relationship after relationship. One spouse has the right perspective and they still love God. And Job's wife is stuck in what she lost. Most people in this room did not anticipate the music change when they lost what they had. And some of you are still dealing with it. Number two. <laughs> Uh, number two, one of the things we struggle with when the music changes is when the roles change. Talk about husbands and wife. Role changes. Role changes. Most of us don't anticipate that. And sometimes that happens. Uh, how do I navigate this? Because uh, let me put it this way. Uh, Don't get too caught up in what you do. Because what you do is not who you are. 
Uh, we have a close family member who landed his dream job, and it was in law enforcement. And the music changed, and he lost that job 30 years ago, 40 years ago, still hadn't recovered. Because his identity was tied up in what he Most of us allow our lives to define what we do, and men are notorious for it. Within the first 15 to 20 seconds of meeting someone in a networking group or whatever, is, hey, man, what do you do? Because if I know what you do, I can size you up. I know how much you make. I know how much you're worth. And I know whether I can one-up you or not. And that's the way most of us go through life. And when we lose the things that our identities are tied up in, most of us can't recover. Okay, can I tell you about a role change? And not only that, not only that, not only that, sometimes we can't navigate those role changes. Sometimes the people closest to us can't handle the role changes in our lives. Isn't that what happened with Jesus? Jesus shows up. Now he's the Messiah. Listen to their response to this role change. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55. They said, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And the scripture says, in Jesus' own hometown, he could there do no mighty work. Because people couldn't handle the role changes in his life. And sometimes you and I, if we're not careful, will struggle with the role changes in our lives. Why is that important? One of the, the choices that I've made, one of the choices that I've made, City Church, is that I am going to give it away before someone comes and takes it away. Y'all missed that. Let me tell you what that means. And I've said it before, most of us go through life with a clenched fist. And we try to hold on to that thing for as long as we can. And when someone or something comes and takes it away, we're devastated. You would do yourself a great deal of service if today you made a choice to give it away. Before the music changes and someone comes and takes it away and you don't recover whatever it is for you. Number three, in how we communicate. Y'all ready for this one? Do I have any text messages? Okay, very good. All right, how we communicate. I'm going to go through this quickly. I'm going to go through this quickly in our communication. <laughs> uh, if there's anything that is a recurring theme in what Wendy and I deal with when we minister to couples and even in our own relationship, it's always been communication. That seems to be the big music change. Well, baby, we just not communicating. <laughs> y'all see that? Y'all see that, that pose? And y'all see how you try to, to, to take that tear out the eye, be coming down right there with the mascara. But baby, we just not communicating. You know how when y'all real mad, y'all just kind of tap that kitchen right back here? <laughs> no, we don't do that anymore. 
Oh, y'all don't do the kitchen no more? No. Yeah, when they're real mad, you get the little finger on the eye and then... Oh, yeah, and then, and then you kind of suck that. That's old marketing video. We don't do that Okay, my bad. is <laughs> what the scripture said. Listen to what the scripture said. Let's get back to the word. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Listen to what it says. It says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Let me tell you one of the first things that goes out the window, y'all, when we don't know how to handle the music changes. We stop talking. Uh, uh, in fact, let me back the truck up a little bit. We stopped laughing. And one of, the, one of the, the, the measures of a healthy relationship is how much you laugh. When, when Wendy and I did our Harmon family values, we did a, a, an acrostic for the word family, and the F is have fun. The reason you need to have fun is because when you stop laughing, the laughter is often replaced by one of two things. Silence or shouting. Somebody stops talking and they retreat, and somebody starts shouting and they might even want to retaliate. So when we don't navigate the seasons of life, when there's loss and roles change, where the man used to work and used to be the breadwinner, now he's the homemaker. I have a friend whose wife is in the marketplace making it happen, six-figure Big dog, and this dude has been a homemaker since 2002. Most men couldn't handle that, but he loves it though. He's very good at it, anticipating the role changes. Most men would say, No, I'm supposed to be the breadwinner, you stay home. Most men can't handle a woman making more money than they do, can't handle it. I'd be like, Babe. <laughs> Yeah, go get your money, girl. <laughs> get that paper. Mad stacks. Make it rain up in here, baby girl. My wife's like, mm, not that one. Okay, my bad. So, 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 but this is what we don't do, though, when the music changes. Y'all ready for this, Brenda? Y'all ready? This is what we don't do. Uh, most of us choose to suffer in silence instead of confronting confronting the elephant in the room. And most of us make the mistake of thinking that we're Christ-like if we avoid confrontation. Yet the Bible is filled with examples, example after example, where God instructs us to confront the situation and to confront people. And so, well, Pastor Ray, well, the Bible says, uh, 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 if someone hits you in the face, turn the other cheek. Yeah, Jesus did say that. He did say that. But that's not about confrontation. That's about retaliation. Retaliation is not godlike. In fact, Gandhi said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. So God is not a God of retaliation, but he is a God of confrontation. Can you put Luke 17, 3 on the screens? Luke 17, 3. Luke 17, 3. I think that's what it is. So, so this is what I'm telling you. If you're stuck in a music change, and you're afraid to talk about it. The biblical response is to talk about it. You cannot grow and you cannot build anything if you're unwilling to talk about it. Remember what happened to Tower of Babel. Remember what happened to Tower of Babel. He confused their language and the building stopped. 
if the enemy can get you and your wife to stop talking, or if he can get you guys to speak two different languages, whatever you attempt to build will stop immediately. You cannot build in an environment where people are not on the same page. And most of us don't communicate about what we lost. We stop talking about it and we suffer in silence because we're willing or unwilling to confront others. So verse 3 says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, what do you do to him? You rebuke him. You bring it to his attention. Jesus says, if your brother has ought against you, if, you, if your brother has beef with you, leave your offering at the altar and go talk to him. He didn't say don't stop talking and don't say anything about it. He didn't say turn the other cheek. If you and somebody got beef, he says you go to them. If even you find out, he said, man, I don't have beef with them. They got beef with me. The scripture says you go and confront them. In fact, God is the original confronter. In Genesis chapter 3, he confronted Adam. It says, Adam, where are you? He asked him four questions that Adam knew the answers to all four of them, but God initiated the conversation. Most of us choose to suffer in silence because we confuse confrontation for retaliation. Open your mouth and tell them what's bugging you. The problem is we never get to that level of communication because we stay on the first two levels. Most of you know what those five levels of communication are. Number one, level one, is we just, we just do small talk. And it's just all about cliches and superficiality. So they say, hey, how you doing? Good, how you doing? Good. Man, the weather's nice, isn't it? Yeah. How you feeling today, baby? I'm good. And most of us stick, uh, stop there. Or, or if we're a little bit more advanced in how we communicate, uh, is the next level, which is sharing information. You get past the cliches, you get past the pleasantries and all you do is share information. All right, you picking up the kids today? Okay, yeah. Nia's got practice. What time is practice, Nia? 5.30. Okay, I'll be there to pick you up. All right, baby, I got this meeting here. Baby. And everything about your communication is transactional. And you go through life navigating one transaction after the next, but nothing about what you say to each other is transformational. Here's the third level. The third level is where you begin to share ideas and opinions. Let me tell you why most of us avoid the third level. Because we haven't given ourselves the freedom to freely express ourselves. And I cannot have an honest confrontation if I have an idea and, or, and, or an opinion and you have not given me permission to say what I feel or say what I think. And so most of us just stay right on those two levels. And we're not allowed to confront the problems. We're not allowed to confront the music that's changing. Hey, man. In fact, I was talking to another couple, and their code word is eggshells. And this is what that means. One person will say to the other person, eggshells. And what that means is, man, I feel like I'm having to walk on eggshells around you. What's going on? Tell me what you're feeling. What did I do? What did I not do? And they've given themselves the liberty to speak honestly. But most of us don't want to hear that. We don't give each other liberty to even express our ideas and opinions, and yet we want to build a glorious world and a glorious marriage, and our communication has been cut off. Let me tell you level four. Level four. Level four is values and feelings. If I can't even tell you my ideas and opinions, can I even trust you with how I really feel? I can't. Level five is intimacy. 
I can't have an intimate conversation. And I know that many people are stuck in that place. They're still stuck. The music changed and you still haven't honestly talked about it and you're suffering in silence and you're playing peekaboo. I can't see you so you can't see me. No, I see you. I see you and you're in a lot of pain. You're in a lot of pain. Uh, wish I had more time. I wish I had more time. There were two other things, and we'll probably finish this up on Sunday, but here's the text questions, and I'm just going to take a few of these. Um, uh, great question. So the first one is, because of a history of things, I'm struggling in maintaining respect and desire for my spouse. How do I navigate this? Uh, respect is gone. We talked about this last week in our uh, uh, Kingdom Marriage series, and I think we alluded to it a little bit in... Um, in, uh, in, the, um, in the sermon, sorry. So I'm processing the answer to this question. And this is what I said, because last week in our Kingdom Marriage Bible study, and if you ain't been coming, you've been missing out. That's all I'm going to say. Snap to that. <laughs> but last week was respect your husband. So, so this was a message for the women. This was a message for the women in particular. And we started talking about respect. And the challenge that I gave to the men in the room is be respectable so she will have something to respect. However, if the instruction is to respect your husband, is respect something that is earned or something that is given. And that's where we get stuck. We always think that respect is something that needs to be earned. When in the context of marriage, it's something that I choose to give. Again, the man is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. The way Christ loved the church was not conditional. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says that God loved the church even while we were yet sinners. He loved us when we were at our worst. And so my, 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 um, my counsel to you is uh, do what's right. How do I say this? Ah, yeah, 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 come on, come on, baby. Respect is less about what they did and more about who you are. Let me say this, let me say it another way. Your decision to show respect tells more about who you are as a person than what they did. Because your choice to show respect and honor shows that you are an honorable person, even when someone in your life has been dishonorable. What I mean by that is you don't become dishonorable or disrespectful just because that's how somebody else is. You be a respectful, honorable person because that's who you are. And respect is something I choose to give just as love is something we're instructed to give, not based on how a person performs but based on a choice to love. Does that make sense? Yeah. So respect is a gift that I give. Your life will be much, let me just say it this way, life will be so much easier if we did away with performance-based relationships. Y'all hear that? I'm going to love you if you perform the right way. I'm going to respect you if your performance is right. 
And what we do is we begin to negotiate relationships in an unhealthy way. It's all about reward. Well, if you do the right thing, I'll reward you. When we need to be honorable in our position, that I'm going to do the right thing regardless of what this other person does. I'm going to do what is right in my 18 inches because obedience is my responsibility. The outcome belongs to God. I will obey and then I'll trust God with the outcome. That's where we miss it. We think we can control the outcome when our part is simply to obey what God's word says and in faith trust God with the outcome. Come on, baby. Sometimes when we find ourselves unable to forgive, it is really a lack of faith. We don't trust that God is going to redeem that hurt. And so really it needs to, a beautiful exchange should take place. You should pour that out to God because when you stay stuck and you replay the thing that that person does, it's very hard to move on. And sometimes to say, I forgive you, our culture has taught us that that is weakness when in actuality it is strength for the believer. We are commanded to, to forgive. It says in Mark eleven twenty five. it says, and when you stand praying, forgive as your heavenly Father has forgiven you. If you don't forgive, your prayers won't be answered. First uh, Corinthians 13, uh, 11 says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man or a woman, I put away childish things. And we know children, they are sensory oriented. They have to feel a certain way. Their feelings have to be appeased because they can't communicate. So when they cry, we run around, we've got to, you know, give them a bottle. Is it change a diaper? Do you want this toy? We're trying to figure it out because they're children. They have not learned to self-soothe. So being able to offer forgiveness as a gift is a mark of maturity. It just doesn't rain down. We have to actively pursue it. You may have to say out loud because the enemy will keep saying, remember, oh, look at what does that mean? Why are they checking their phone? The enemy will try to whisper the lie and you might have to say, I resist unforgiveness. I choose to let this thing go. I know that because I lived that. Ray and I went through some things early on in our marriage and I'm telling you the enemy would try to torment me with that thing. And I remember driving down, I was at Parker and Preston, and I just said, out of my mouth, I resist you, I refuse you, are not going to harass me about my husband. I choose love. I did that thing. It took me some years, and the sting of it is gone. It is completely a testimony now. The Bible says in Mark eleven twenty three, and whosoever shall say to the mountain, you got to say, you have to actively pursue it. Be thou removed and be cast into the sea. A mountain moving into the sea is not about a mountain. The mountain of unforgiveness, the mountain of, of offense, the mountain of anger, resentment. You've, you have to take authority. Not the other person doesn't have to figure out, is it a diaper? Is it, do you want candy? Because you're no longer a baby. You have to receive it for yourself. God is faithful with that thing. Ray and I live that out. So just be, that's why I said, oh, can I speak to it? I want you to be encouraged. For me, it didn't happen overnight. It don't have to take you all years, but you have to actively offer up the gift of respect. God will never hold you accountable to what somebody does to you, but he will hold you accountable to your response. Very good. Very good. Fantastic.
Fantastic. Very, very good. It's 11.30. Man, there's so many good questions in here. Can y'all give us a few more minutes and we'll let y'all go? Just a few more minutes? A few more minutes? Uh, man, I'm trying to see even which, which one to start with. And uh, I think we'll go with some quick answers or questions and answers. It says, how can you determine if you and your spouse are on the same rhythm? Uh, I think there's a, a natural uh, 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 example of that, right? And, and, and so uh, with a ballroom dance, there is a definite leader, all right? There is a definite leader who sets the tone and the tempo of the dance. I think a lot of times uh, 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 couples are out of control, they're out of sync, they're out of rhythm because there isn't a definitely established lead or direction. So the first thing we would say is communicate about where you are, and if you guys are constantly uh, disagreeing about things, that is the first sign that you're not in, on the same page. I think a lot of this can be resolved through communication, but you have to decide on a specific direction, and someone has to defer to the other person until you find a place of agreement. Okay, next one, how do you adjust to emotional changes in the marriage? That's the first one, emotional changes in the marriage. First of all, I think you have to acknowledge that things are changing. You have to acknowledge that things are changing, and then you have to begin the conversation around maybe why those things are changing. Like I said with our friends, they cry out eggshells. That means, you know what, we got to stop everything, we've got to pump the brakes, and acknowledge that things are changing. I've shared this with you before, but uh, I heard an Australian billionaire, he was doing an interview, and he said, they asked him, what, what, what's been the secret to the success in your marriage? And he said, the thing I appreciate about my wife the most is that she has adapted, she has adjusted to the nine men I have become over the course of our marriage. Nine different men. At different times, there were role changes, there were emotional changes. They recognized those changes and they started to talk about it. All right, that's where the confrontation is critically important. You can't pretend that your spouse isn't changing. You can't pretend that your needs aren't changing. You have to talk through it and you have to communicate through what's happening with you emotionally and otherwise. And then he's, the, the next part of that is they're not talking about arguments. Again, you have to give yourself permission to speak honestly. None of this works if you don't allow your spouse, your partner, your friend to speak honestly how they feel. So if you stop talking, you will just suffer in silence. That's the hard part. And Wendy and I say it this way, the truth only hurts once. But all this other stuff where we do and we lying and covering up stuff and saying it hurts over and over and over and over again. The truth only hurts once. If you allow me to communicate to you how I really feel one time, it's going to hurt going in, but hopefully it's going to heal coming out. Okay. So if you stop talking, that's part of the problem. You can't grow if you don't talk. The Tower of Babel, they couldn't continue to build because they couldn't communicate. Uh, uh, so the, and the last part, oh, this is a big one. Person had three questions. The last part of that question is, not just the emotional stuff. How do you talk about physical changes? So let me tell you, let me just say about that. Let me, let me, let me, let me. I'm a man. All right. Tony Evans said it this way. Tony Evans said, uh, you need to speak to a woman's heart but you have to speak to a man's head. Mm -hmm. 
right? So women ask us to speak to their heart on an emotional level. Rarely give us opportunities for us to speak about what's happening in our head. You, as a spouse, have to give your husband permission to speak freely, even if it's about physical things. You talk to us all the time about emotional things, and you want us to make adjustments. Now, if he was attracted to you at a certain time and you looked a certain way, you have to give him permission to talk to you about that. Let, let, me, tell you, let me tell you what conventional wisdom says. Oh, man, that's off limits. You say, if your wife says, do I look a certain way in this dress? Don't tell her. Now, again, there is a right way to communicate that. But you and your spouse have to have such freedom in the relationship that you, he can speak honestly to you. And if I speak honestly to you, it doesn't mean I don't like you anymore. It doesn't mean I don't want to be with you anymore. I'm just communicating to you what's important to me, just as you communicate what's important to you. So let's level the playing field now. There should be enough trust and respect in the marriage that your spouse can speak honestly about what he's feeling. Otherwise, he's going to stuff it. And that's not what you want. My wife, yes. And then we'll, we'll take, man, there's so many good questions in here. Another thing, if it's for physical changes, it, there has to be a level of maturity. Men, when women have bodies, I mean, when they have babies, it, it's, expect some change. It doesn't always, everything doesn't always snap into place. You've got to anticipate that. I know our culture is so overridden with pornography and what, and the airbrush and what the expectation. Our men don't have to be looking at pornography. They could just go across to the Main Street Cafe and somebody could just, you know, have all their stuff, you know, on display. But we also, as women, have to stop overriding and being lazy. When you know you're supposed to get up and walk, and we don't walk, and then everything is, I'm 46 now. I'm going to be 47 in December, in, in November. I forgot my own birthday. <clears throat> the Lord had been talking to me. I'm married to a hot, red blood African man. And I was not this size when we married. And so I stopped over, huh? I was not this size when we married. He married, I was a size six and had hair down my back, and then I cut it off, and then, you know, we're growing and changing. He's seeing younger women out in the shops of Legacy, and so I, like, need to keep Pastor coming home. So I am, like, in the music room. I am sweating it out. Do you know I work out? You can't assume that, baby. Huh? You can't assume that I'm seeing younger women in the shops of Legacy. Just because you see him, it doesn't mean you're lusting after them. But there is a very, I mean, he's not walking under the anointing all the time. There, we see people try to say, oh, I don't see that. I don't see color. That's a lie. I see these things. And so I feel insecure about my weight. I feel insecure about the muscle failure after having a C-section with Levi. I feel insecure about these hips I'm always trying to cover up. But guess what? I do something about it. I like your hips, baby. Your hips is jazzy. No, that's not the truth. You've grown into that. Oh, at Rama, do you remember this? 
How you go? That's my truth, baby. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. I receive it, my king. Tell the truth. He has grown to love these hips because we were at Rhema one day, and I was, we were in Bible school, and he said, are your hips getting big? I said, you don't have no ring on this finger. You don't even be looking at this back here. This don't even belong to you. Don't even worry about it. Go on back on over there across the street. Remember that conversation one day? But this is what I do. But this is what I do because if I'm insecure and I'm hiding when I get out of the shower and I'm lying to myself, he doesn't like these hips. Guess what I do? I get up and by FaceTime three times a week, me and Chastity are working out. That's how important it is to me. They're in Indiana. Thank God for modern technology. A lot has not been changing. I've been working out with her since about September. And I'm like looking at hormones. I've got I've to up the ante and drastically change my diet. But guess what? My personal insecurity is leaving because I know I'm putting in the work. I'm not being so insecure. He set me free just now. He unmind the hips. He recognizes it. And I am an African man. <laughs> African man, we like. Emmanuel, you are there. You are there. <laughs> Emmanuel, you know what I'm talking about. Hey, I am going to speak like an African now. I am an African man. We like, we like. Let me leave it alone. Let me leave it alone. I will not say another thing. Let me leave it alone. So we said all this to say about physical changes. Men recognize that age and hormones and babies are going to change the body. Recognize that. But women also do what you can do so you can feel your healthiest and your best. Because if we don't talk about it, sometimes it, don't talk the men out of loving you. Don't, don't say, oh, I'm just getting so out of shape and blah, 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 blah. And then he might not have been thinking that way. And he said, well, oh, you are. That's what I, and, but we have a responsibility, whether it is to push back from the plate, whether it is to eat half. There are some things that we can do that we can't just say, oh, well, you don't like me for who I am. And, and we get all bound up in that both part, both people have a part to play in that. Absolutely. And yes, no, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And, and this is the last thing I'm going to say. I'm going to let you go. Here's, here's the key, yo. Here's the key on the communication. I didn't get to the other uh, music changes, but uh, the communication music changed. The game changer, I believe, is this. I want you all to catch this. Learn the language of what your spouse cares about. Most couples don't become bilingual. So when a woman comes into the marriage, let's say she speaks, her language is French. The man comes into the relationship, his language is German. All she communicates to him is French. All he communicates back to her is German. They both have to learn how to become bilingual. And so if, if physical fitness matters to your husband, learn that language. If emotional connection matters to your wife, learn that language and become fluent in each other's language. Become bilingual. Don't dismiss it and say, oh, all he wants is a whatever, whatever. No, 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 no. That is important to him. Just as emotional connection is important to you. Don't dismiss it. 
and I'm going to go into some territory, and don't use it as a reward. It was not intended to be a snack. <laughs> Supposed to be buffet. <laughs> Y'all don't like that part. No, if you're going to say to the man, cry with me when I cry. If you want me to get down the way you get down, then you got to get down the way I get down too. Learn the language of what matters. It matters to him. Don't dismiss it. And when you don't talk about it, the problem is you create your own inner script. That's, right. That's, right. That's when we get messed up. We start telling ourselves stories that may not be true because you won't talk about it. Right in here, you got a whole trilogy, three-part movie about why he's feeling the way he feels, why he don't talk. And all. When we, if we simply communicated through the music changes, we would have clarity. Are y'all with me? Man, we got some great questions, but we're out of time. We're out of time. Let me pray. Let me pray.